Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Gary Parker, and today we've got part two of our very informative interview with Renee Dudley from ProPublica. Uh, we'll be talking about the ransomware industry and uh, not just, <laughs> it's actually an industry from the bad guy's perspective too, which is pretty crazy. Um, but no, I'm, we'll be talking about, you know, cyber insurers and incident response teams and uh, the people that help us mitigate the risk and recover from ransomware attacks. And unfortunately, uh, some of these businesses are not exactly being very transparent and uh, it appears that they are not being very um ethical as well. So we're going to be talking about that. Very interesting stuff. But before we get to that uh, second part of the interview, just a couple quick notes. Um, first of all, you've probably heard about the Twitter hack that we're going to definitely get into that next week and talk about how that happened. It's actually still a little bit unfolding. So that's good. We'll have another week to kind of get some more investigation and reporting done on that. And I'll, I'll talk to you about that one next week. Cause that's very interesting. And we'll have a just re- otherwise have a regular news show next week. So there's plenty, as always plenty to catch up on. So Stay tuned to the end. I got a few more things to talk to you about, but right now let's let's get back to part two of our interview with Renee Dudley from ProPublica. All right, so obviously with any sort of common risk to be distributed, that is where insurance comes in. And you know, we've got insurance for everything. Uh, so why not insurance against ransomware? Tell us a little bit about how cyber insurance works. Like, you know, what's a typical policy like? Is it, you know, what's a cost? What are other deductibles, coverage limits? You know, is it like any other insurance? Yeah, well, it's it's new. It's new. So the the cyber ransomware insurance has um, has become, of course, more popular as ransomware has become more popular. And you know, when I was talking to industry experts about it, um, one of the things that, that came up a number of times was it's difficult to price because, number one, it's not like, you know, for example, fires or auto accidents. Right, where, where there's, there's actuarial tables. Exactly. You know, it's so underreported that, you know, insurers have no way of knowing how widespread it is, how big of a risk it is, and, you know, by extension, how to price it. And so, you know, it, increasingly, companies are are determining, you know, this is companies and, you know, public entities, cities, you know, school districts, mm-hmm. you know, you name it, um, are seeing this as, you know, a risk that needs to be insured, you know, industry experts believe, you know, going forward, as these types of policies become more popular, and they see more claims, they're going to get better data and figure out how they should actually be priced. But right now, and over the past few years, it's, it's, it's been a challenge. And entities that are that are getting insurance see it as you know, sort of a safety net, but as you alluded to, there there can be coverage limits. So you may, you know, your your the ransom demand may be in excess of what your policy mm. will cover. You know, of course, that's a common issue. And you know, one of the other issues and one that we focused on was the notion that for you know insurers paying a ransom may be Plan A. When you know you as an organization may have wanted to go 
down, you know, a more labor intensive, you know, more labor intensive, but doable path of restoring from from mm-hmm. backups. But from an insurer's perspective, that that can take a lot of time and time is money. And if your policy covers business interruption, those costs really add up fast. Mm. And paying a ransom and getting a decryptor, you know, while nobody feels good about it, you know, it can be fast and you could get your business back up and running in a fraction of the time. Um, of course, <laughs> the flip side of that is that you're feeding criminal enterprise. Right, sure. And, you know, the more you reward criminals, the more right. they're going to commit crime. So it's something that, um, I, 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 you know, it, it seems like the industry is still trying to figure out. Yeah. So it, I mean, to me, my, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of like, it's kind of almost like, like life insurance where they need to figure out what your risk factors are. Right. So there must be some sort of an initial interview, like, you know, what, what's the potential loss, yeah. you know, how, how vulnerable are you? How likely of a target are you? Uh, you know, all those kind of things that would help them kind of judge what they need to charge you and what your policy level needs to be. Yeah. And that's um, what you just mentioned is something that it seems like a lot of insurers are focusing on, you know, as, as the realm of cyber and ransomware insurance becomes more established, requiring, you know, these sort of preventative, mm-hmm. you know, assessments before agreeing to give you a policy. So, you know, that could entail things like, you know, m- making sure that it, the covered entity has robust and, you know, multiple types of backups. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that that they are doing those backups in accordance with, you know, you know, best practices as prescribed by the insurer, you know, and if you fail to, um, to perform, you know, that, then, you know, the policy may be in a, you know, deemed ineffective or, you know, you won't be renewed or um, whatever the case may be. Um, but it seems like the kind of thing that is going to be a, a requirement of getting a policy in the future. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, it is already a requirement in some cases. And that, that reminds me of health insurance where they're, you know, where they're going to insure you, but you know, you've got to make sure that, you know, if you eat right, or if you go to the gym or whatever, we'll give you a discount. Or in this exactly. case, it'd be like, right. you know, if you take some cybersecurity training, you know, if you, if you let us, you know, kind of evaluate your cyber systems, give you some, you know, advice on, well, you better beef this up over here. You need this kind of firewall over here or whatever, you right. know, cause it's in their best interest to, to make you as secure as possible. Right. Right. And, and, and in your best interest, you know, you don't, right. um, you know, it, it may, you know, it may help some, some entities, you know, get into shape when they might otherwise may not ha- have been. So you, you mentioned about, you know, yeah, as you're going through it, you're, you can maybe haggle, you're, you're kind of talking to them about how you're going to pay. Now, if you've got insurance, I assume it's the insurance company that's is now your front person. They're your middleman. They're your, they're, they're representing you through all this. Yeah, they typically outsource that type of work Mm. to an incident response firm, you know, and to an attorney. And then that incident response firm will handle, 
you know, present you with the decisions um, and ha- handle negotiations on your behalf. Now, in, in, in the story that we did, we talked to um, cities who were dealing with this situation, you know, who've been, who'd been attacked. And in one case, um, a city in Florida had been, a, you know, had been hit by ransomware and they had begin they had begun to explore you know the possibilities of restoring from backups so they wouldn't have to pay mm-hmm. you know a six figure ransom and the you know working alongside the incident response firm and the attorneys the outside attorneys um the insurer presented the city you know with its options were which were you know, you could do it that way, or, you know, we could pay the ransom and get this done a lot faster. So, you know, while it was ultimately the city's decision, um, you know, as the, you know, the city's is the covered entity here, um, you know, is the ultimately their decision, you know, the, the insurer had suggested, you know, you should just go ahead and pay the ransom and let's get this done fast. So <laughs> one of the articles uh, that I was reading had a rather shocking part of it to me. And you were talking about some of these insurance companies being good actors and some not so good. And it, maybe it's the, maybe it's the, uh, actually the incident, uh, the incident responses companies you're talking about. But I, some of them, you know, have miraculous results. You know, they say, well, we're all over this. We're going to get your data back and lo and behold, to get the data back. But it wasn't really because of technical prowess. <laughs> Yeah, so this is this is separate from the insurer. So this is what I was uh, mentioning earlier about these um, this incident response data recovery industry. Um, so this is uh, an industry that has that has sprouted um, as ransomware has taken hold. You know. It, Ransom when you're when you're struck by ransomware, it's a very scary thing. And just imagine all of your like your work, your personal files, um, everything just being frozen, and you don't know what to do. You can't you know you can't use your computer to search right, for yeah. solutions. Right. And so these companies have come up to um, help you get back on your feet. And like I mentioned earlier, there are some that are, you know, highly transparent. You know, here are your, here's an array of bad options and, you know, we'll help you, you know, through no matter which one you pick. And then there are others um, like two that we highlighted in our um, article called The Trade Secret that they, they don't do that. They promise to get your files back using their own proprietary technology. But as our article showed, their proprietary technology is paying the ransom <laughs> without telling you. Um, uh. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a scary thing for victims because it's almost as though, you know, they're being victimized twice. You know, first you're hit by ransom and then, you know, you sign up with one of these um, data recovery firms that is going to pay a ransom without your knowledge and then charge you a hefty fee on top. And it's not like they're giving you an itemized mm. um, invoice of mm-hmm. how much each of those cost. And 
you know, we looked at in particular one firm called Monster Cloud in Florida that caters to law enforcement, to local law enforcement agencies that, that are victims of ransomware. And, um, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think of it, but local law enforcement is a huge target of ransomware. Hmm. You know, you think about strapped municipalities that don't have huge budgets for um, IT. Probably have some pretty juicy data. Yeah, exactly. And, and data that they really, really need. So, you know, they're that that's a you know kind of perfect victim because they need that data and they're going to be more willing to pay. So this company Monster Cloud um you know it, the other part of it is no law enforcement agency wants to pay a ransom. It kind of flies in the face of you know what they believe, you know we don't negotiate with criminals that sort of thing. So you could see how how those types of victims would be attracted to the premise of, you know, we will never pay a ransom mm-hmm. and we will guarantee that you will get your data back. But the truth is, you know, if you don't have backups and there's no free public decryptor, paying a ransom is usually the only option. And so we, we, we looked at how firms like Monster Cloud and um, another one called Proven Data, um, which is a firm based in New York, had a history of, of, paying ransoms without telling clients that that's what they're doing and charging um, hefty fees on top of it. Great. <laughs> um, whenever there's money like this being made, whenever there's big dollars, there's you almost need to kind of get into some game theory and, and you start, because it's, it kind of distorts everything when the money gets involved. So it seems like there's two ways to, that I look at this. So the mere existence of cyber insurance must create some of this market as we talked as we kind of talked about before i mean the fact that these bad guys know that these guys are you know they're insured particularly if i'm a bad guy and i know this company's insured and that one's not i'm going to go after the insured company because they probably have they could probably pay more is that not true well it makes sense it's hard to tell how much research the criminals are doing (laughs) into covered versus not covered victims you know, what's, what is for certain is hackers are going after bigger targets and bigger targets are more likely to be insured and insurance companies, you know, as we've shown, have shown a willingness to pay, to pay ransoms. I mean, not, not, uh, uh, you know, I'll caveat that by saying, you know, not in all cases, you know, there have been lawsuits over coverage when it comes to um, big cyber attacks that are deemed acts of war Hmm. Um, and you know and insurers don't want to pay claims you know for for things like that but you know in in the ransomware you know you know that's been spreading over you know the past year or two, um, insurers have shown, you know, a willingness to, to pay, to pay ransoms as a first resort, you know, for, for some of the reasons we, we talked about earlier, you know, for example, it, it, it's faster and, and less costly than paying ongoing business disruption mm-hmm. costs. And, you know, I, I, I don't think there's any question that, you know, when, when you keep paying ransoms, then, you know, hackers keep, keep in the game because it's lucrative. Right. So we talked about law enforcement being victims, but what about, 
what is the role of law enforcement or uh, maybe state or even federal agencies when it comes to uh, in particular ransomware attacks? Like, do they, do they work with a cyber insurance company? Do you engage them to like, to actually try to find or pursue the hackers? And if so, do they, I mean, is it even possible? Do, uh, how successful are they at you know, solving some of these crimes? Well, you know, like we said earlier, there's never been a prosecution um, of a ransomware actor in the U.S. Yeah, right. So, you know, although, you know, you'll see alerts out from the FBI or from Homeland Security about how ransomware is an increasing um, and disturbing threat, um, there hasn't been a lot of concrete action in terms of bringing um, any of the hackers to justice. Part of the issue, um, you know, we, this is something that we took a look at in one of our stories. Um, you know, part of the issue is at least, uh, well, first of all, you know, local law enforcement is often a target itself. Right. And local law enforcement does not have the resources to handle extremely complex cyber crime. You know, it's just not in, in necessarily in their sure, repertoire yeah. or budget. On the other hand, at least historically, and I think this is changing, you know, in the past um, six to 12 months, but, you know, historically, ransomware has been too small for the FBI. Hmm. The Justice Department has prosecutorial guidelines, you know, in, in other words, thresholds, dollar hmm. thresholds of h- how much damage does this crime have to cause in order for us to want to investigate it. And it varies depending on what part of the country you're in. Hmm. Um, but, you know, if you're in the Southern District of New York, you know, that has to be, you know, that has to be, you know, in the tens of millions of dollars. Hmm. And the FBI won't investigate unless it hits one of those thresholds. So there's that. And then on top of that, you know, there's the issue of underreporting. The, you know, there's no question that, you know, especially now in the past, you know, six to 12 months, we're seeing those kinds of ransoms. We're seeing, um, you know, seven and eight figure ransoms, but the targets, somebody's got to report it. You know, the FBI can't investigate without a complainant. Mm -hmm. And with, you know, you know, like we talked about, you know, when you're a company, you know, that's been struck by, ransomware and you know you're facing a 10 12 15 million dollar ransom you don't want people to find out about that you know (laughs) so they're not exactly you know the fbi i might not be their first call um because they don't want the you know the possible publicity over it what about has this has this industry matured enough that there's that there's fraud in the industry? I mean, have there been companies that maybe colluded with the hackers to have fake claims, or maybe these incident response companies are actually the hackers too? <laughs> you know, it seems like those are logical things if I'm thinking with my black hat on. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've i seen no evidence of that, but, you know, the question of whether some of these data recovery firms are, 
taking advantage of consumers has certainly come up and was a part of our story. They're saying one thing. They're saying, um, you know, we guarantee results. We guarantee your data back. We don't pay ransoms. But in reality, the only way to get the data back is to pay ransom. Mm. Um, You know, that's a type of fraud, according to, uh, you know, experts we talk to. You know, and they do have close relationships with the hackers. One, you know, former employee of one of the firms that we looked at um, described, you know, how he was able to get special concessions from the SamSam hackers because the SamSam hackers knew that his firm, Proven Data Recovery, was a reliable payer of ransoms. <laughs> so, you know, whereas, you know, typically a SamSam victim only had um, a set amount of time to pay the ransom and there was, you know, a, a, a timer, you know, you have to pay in this many days or else your data will be permanently deleted you know, by working with proven data, you know, you could get that timer extended, or they put the timer on hold. And, you know, that raised questions about, you know, just how closely Mm. are these companies working with the hackers, you know, they didn't know it at the time. But of course, you know, they were negotiating and um, working closely and extracting concessions from hackers that were tied to the Iranian regime. And so it it, it does raise um, all manner of ethical questions as well. All right. So as we wrap up here a little bit, I always like to try to give people, you know, some hope or some advice or both. So in your your research and and looking at these victims, has there been any patterns in terms of which types of behaviors or preventative measures or maybe even just mitigating uh, factors uh, for companies that have come out either not having to pay or being able to recover. You mentioned backups, but it even sounds like having backups is not not sufficient if you can't like basically get back up and running with those backups in a short period of time. But the backups are, are pointless. So, are there any are there any trends? Are there any particular advice you might give to someone listening that how what steps they could take to prevent or mitigate their risk here? Yeah, you know, the the case that I mentioned where the restoring from backups was going to take, um, you know, it was going to take days or, or possibly weeks, you know, that's not an ideal situation. But there, there are plenty of daily news stories about how companies or, or cities um, were attacked but got back up the same day because of their robust you know, their robust backups and, you know, their, um, you know, dedicated staff that, that was able to get them, you know, back just as quickly as they got knocked off. So that's still the best, Mm. the best, uh, the best way around not having to pay a ransom. But unfortunately, things are are getting more twisted out there. (laughs) Um, Because even if you are fortunate enough to have great resources and great backups and competent staff to restore them for you. If you've been, if you've been struck by one of these, um, you know, new strains, they may take your data anyway, and you still may be facing a data breach situation. So Mm -hmm. you'll have your data back, um, but they're still demanding a ransom 
in exchange for not releasing troves of data that they've already stolen. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it's hard to say in, in those cases, but, you know, the, you know, it's best to just not <laughs> be a victim in the first place. Sure. Um, you know, patch vulnerabilities and keep software up to date and things like that. Of course. Yes. The, yes, the usual ones. Um, so, uh, and then obviously the big question is, and I, I'm, I'm sure you probably would maybe shy away from particular recommendations, but if I'm a small company or a big company and I'm listening to this and I'm trying to evaluate whether or not cyber insurance is for me, uh, you know, what kind of things might I want to consider as to whether or not, uh, I, I want to go that route. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, like I said earlier, it's, it's something that it looks like a lot of both public and private entities are, are looking into. And if, you know, if that's the type of thing that would, that would help you get in a better situation, a better position in terms of, um, you know, shoring up potential vulnerabilities, then maybe it's, if that's what's going to force you to, to shore up vulnerabilities and, and, and get your backups in shape and um, create a patch, you know, soft, you know, patch management, patch update, uh, you know, system that you're reliably, you know, following, uh, then, then maybe that's the, that's the thing for yeah. you. I guess it depends on, uh, I guess the pricing and, you know, how much you're willing to spend on that and like any, any kind of insurance and, you know, whether, whether you think it's how much you're at risk. So, and since you've been looking at these companies, um, last question, if there's, let's say I decide I do want to go that route and I uh, at least want to look into it. How might I objectively compare the various companies I remember, even the various policies and, Given what you've the reporting you've had, are there any obvious red flags? Like there are things like if if this company is saying this or doing this, then I, you don't want you know you don't want to go to them. You want to go to someone else. I can't really speak to the insurance element of it, um, but on the incident response, you know, I, I've seen contracts between, you know, for example, Monster Cloud, the one that we wrote about, and, and its law enforcement clients, where the company said, "You can ask us." Uh, you know, you know, basically, we, you can ask us how we're going to restore your files, but we're not going to tell you because it's a trade secret. <laughs> and okay. I would say that is a red flag mm, mm-hmm. yeah, because sure. there's only, you know, a couple of ways of doing it. Either they're using a free public decryptor, you know, in which mm. case, you know, it, it's probably fair to, to charge, you know, a reasonable fee um, for helping you, you know, use that. Um, but it's a free public tool that, you know, you could figure out on your own. So, you know, they shouldn't be charging too, too much and they're not developing them themselves Mm. or, you know, option two is they're paying the ransom. And if they are paying the ransom, you want to know how much they're paying and what they're collecting for a fee. And so if they're not, if they're not telling you that, I, I, I'd say that's a red flag. Absolutely. Okay, I lied. One more question. You mentioned a particular website that there was a free site where the, the where they try to help you. And I've heard of one called like nomorransom.org is one I've heard of. It sounds yeah. similar. What was that website? Um, ID Ransomware. So n- No More Ransom is another one. 
but the original was ID Ransomware, created by uh, a man named Michael Gillespie of Illinois, who did it, uh, you know, as essentially a volunteer project in his spare time. And if you are hit by ransomware and you upload a sample encrypted file, you know, this site will help you help to direct you to resources potentially help you recover it without having to pay a ransom wonderful well thank you so much for that information and that advice uh and thanks for doing the the deep digging on this it's really interesting to see where all this stuff goes when you really you know when you go that next level with the story and you guys have definitely done that yeah pleasure thank you very much for having me I want to say thanks again to Renee for coming on the show. That was really informative, very, very interesting. I, I, I love kind of digging into these topics in depth, and, and ProPublica has done some really good reporting around ransomware, and really, honestly, about a lot of things. If you have not checked out ProPublica, you know, go to their website, look at some of the stuff they're doing. You know, If you've got a newsreader of some sort, maybe subscribe to their feed. They've got some really great uh, investigative journalism that they're doing. And if you really like what they're doing, they're not a profit organization, so they do take donations. I have supported them in the past, and I will continue to do so. They're doing some wonderful work. Like I said, we'll have a news show next week. I'll have plenty of security and privacy news to catch you up on. We'll definitely be talking about that Twitter hack. Uh, Depending on how much news we cover, I I may get into some of the new privacy and security features in uh, macOS Big Sur, which... Uh, from what I hear, they're going to be calling Mac OS 11, which is a departure. It was Mac OS, Mac OS 10 for many, many years. And iOS 14, the new iPhone and iPad operating system. A lot of great changes coming in that, and I wanted to kind of take some time to go through those. The fourth edition of the book is going to be coming soon. If you'd like to kind of get some background information on that whole process and what it's like for me to publish the book and all the things that, that go into that, there's really there's quite a lot to it. Go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search for Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. You'll get all the information there. Uh, depending on what level you sign up at, you get various levels of information. And uh, as I've been you know, publishing the second, the fourth edition of this book, uh, I've been kind of walking the audience through all the stuff that goes on in the background, all the various steps of editing and, and how we go the back and forth with the publisher and how I do what I do to make that book. There's, there's a lot that goes into how I get all those screenshots and, and come up with all the updated steps. And anyway, there's, there's really a lot to it. And I, hopefully you'll find it fascinating. I, I've written about that. And if you sign up at the right level, actually, you will get a signed copy of the book uh, once it comes out, probably late August or September. I haven't mentioned this in a while, but you might check out my blog and or newsletter. They're usually the same content, so you can kind of choose how you want to uh, get that content. You can, if you sign up for the newsletter every other week, you'll get something in your inbox on Sunday evenings, or you can look at uh, the blog whenever you like. And if you haven't signed up for the newsletter yet, well, then you can use the blog to get the back issues basically. And of course that's at firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. And with every show and most of you who subscribe to podcasts probably never see this, but I go to a <laughs> great links to create some show notes with some handy links and some kind of cool pictures that go with it. And most people probably never see that. But if you go to podcast.firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com, you'll see all the lists of podcasts and you'll see all the show notes and the, the pictures and things that I take a lot of time and effort to create that probably most people never see. And that'll wrap it up for this week. Thanks again for listening. Uh, subscribe if you already haven't. Uh, I would love to get some great reviews on the podcast if you haven't done that already, or reviews on the book. Those are really, really, really helpful. So um, if you're enjoying this stuff at all, I I really would appreciate it if you uh, find some ways to leave some nice reviews for either the podcast and or the book. Hope everybody is staying healthy out there. 
Uh, I wish everybody the best of luck with the school season coming back up. Those of us who are parents, uh, it's going to be really dicey. Hopefully we'll figure this out. But the only way to knock this down is to stay home, wear those masks, reduce our in-person interactions, unfortunately, until we can get a handle on this. So as always, stay home, stay healthy, and don't get caught with your drawbridge down.